When I was first learning to fly at the ripe old age of 15, I had an instructor, we'll call him Carl, you know, protect the innocent, or guilty, as the case may be. My experience with Carl was unique, to say the least. We flew out of Salt Lake Airport Number 2 in Salt Lake City, Utah. The airport fell underneath the upside-down wedding cake of controlled airspace from the International Airport. Below certain altitudes, there was no need to talk to the air traffic controllers because it was uncontrolled airspace. Welcome to Todd Talks, where I help you design the life you desire. Not the life that I designed for you, but I give you the skills, ideas, opportunities, and methods that will help you to create the life that you want to live, the life that you design. Today, I have an excellent story to tell you, so sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. On my third flight ever, we're talking third flight in the little tiny Cessna 150, the smallest airplane you can imagine, Carl and I went up to work on stalls. One minor problem. Carl was not the best instructor. In fact, I'd say Carl was quite bad. In fact, I'd say Carl was a crappy instructor. First, he told me we were going to work on stalls. He ne- neglected to do one simple thing. He didn't tell me how to actually recover once the plane stalled, or really what a stall was. For those of you that don't know aviation, stalling in an airplane is not like when your car stalls. When your car stalls, the engine dies and the car coasts to a stop. When an airplane stalls, however, that means that the lift provided by the wings, the air that is holding up the airplane in the sky and keeping it from falling, fails and tumbles, which means one thing. The airplane is no longer held up by the air and it falls out of the sky. Stalls are dangerous when done close to the ground because it can take anywhere from a few feet to thousands of feet to get out of the stall depending on the weight of the airplane, the speed, and how quickly the pilot initiates recovery. The primary method of recovering from a stall is to release back pressure on the stick or yoke and allow the nose of the airplane to drop below the horizon in order to pick up speed and get air flowing smoothly over the wings again. This generates lift or creates lift, and the stall is broken, allowing the airplane to fly again. Then the nose needs to be brought back to the horizon or even above the horizon to maintain level flight or climb away to get more altitude, climb away from ground obstacles if it occurs close to the ground. Carl didn't bother to teach me what a stall really was. He didn't teach me how to recover. He just walked me out to the plane and we hopped on and off we went. According to the FAA, the minimum safe altitude allowed for stall practice at that time was 1,500 feet above the ground. That's the minimum. Usually, I would learn later, we would go and practice from three between three and 7,000 feet above the ground. Our practice area fell underneath the umbrella of Salt Lake International Airport. All we had to do was contact air traffic control and let them know we were going to be working in our practice area and request a block altitude between three and 5,000 feet to be able to do all the maneuvers that we wanted safely. Carl, bless his heart, 
didn't like to talk to air traffic control. I learned all this later. I was only 15 at the time, so you can't blame me. We climbed up to 1,200 feet above the ground, and he started teaching me to stall the airplane. This is easy. He just says, pull the stick back until the airplane stalls. You slow down, and the plane stalls. There's a small buffet, and then in a Cessna, the wing will drop off to the side if you let it, and the nose falls. The key being, if you let it. Let's go back to the fact that he didn't teach me anything. Yeah. Oh, hold on. It's coming. It's coming. It was one of those beautiful days where the air was crisp and the plane really wanted to fly. It did not want to stall. So as I pulled the nose up, and this was my first time ever, mind you, first time ever, we ended up doing what's called a hammerhead stall. That's where the nose goes up and keeps going up and the plane doesn't want to stall and it keeps going and we got the nose almost vertical, which is not good in a Cessna 150. The airplane starts to shake, fall backwards slightly, and then just rolls off sideways to point almost straight down. Today, that would be a lot of fun. I love doing stalls. I love doing those kinds of tricks at altitude with room to play. As a 15-year-old, on my first stall ever, that freaked me out. Totally. Carl had to take controls because I froze. I froze because he hadn't told me what to do. At that point, he decided maybe he should teach me something. Reduce power, let the nose drop, then control the roll using the rudder and the yoke to pull the nose and then slowly pull the nose up to the horizon as airspeed increases. That knowledge would have been very beneficial 10 minutes prior to that. Obviously, my brain rebelled at that point and his instructions went in one ear and out the other. We did a second stall. Same exact results as the first, except I think I managed to pull the power back. Of course, the solution to this was to do it a third time. Brilliant, right? Third time, we pulled the nose up. Again, hammerhead stall. Falls hard off to the left wing. And we essentially initiated an incipient spin. But this time, cool, calm, collected as I obviously was, I completely let go of all the controls and did nothing but let the plane fly itself. And Cessnas are well built for training. If you let go of the controls, it'll ride itself. It wants to fly. So the plane righted itself, pulled out of the stall on its own. Because it's a good airplane. It's a good training airplane. I've since learned to control stalls. In fact, stalling and spinning were some of my favorite things to do when I was teaching students in Mississippi. I love to get into those incipient spins and actually go into the spins. But I had to make a lot of mental changes to get to that point. Thanks to Carl, I developed a fear of stalling. I learned later that not only was what we were doing dangerous and stupid, 
It was also illegal because we were doing stall work below the minimum altitude. I survived, thankfully, but that fear remained for a long time. I didn't get my pilot's license until I was 21, and I always worried and feared stalling until I got used to it. Again, thank you, Carl. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. You see, fear can affect you in many ways and come from many areas. In this instance, my lack of knowledge and being thrown into a situation where I was unprepared caused fear. What eventually overcame the fear was study, knowledge, and lots of practice in a safe environment. If you can call flying in the tweet a T-37 at 15,000 feet and doing it over and over and over again, well, that's a safe environment. It was a lot of fun. You probably have some sort of fear that you've developed from trauma, unpleasant experiences, life changes, or even just life in general. Fear, even unnoticed in your subconscious, can paralyze you if you let it. Here's a sim simple technique that I've learned for conquering these fears. First, gain knowledge. The more you know about a subject or situation, the better you are at overcoming fear. This does not mean go out and if you have a fear of heights to go read and watch everything you can about people dying from a fall. It does mean reading and listening or watching videos about overcoming the fear of heights. It means educate yourself on solutions to problems or fears. Knowledge, however, will not help you overcome your fears. Take stage fright. You can study and be extremely knowledgeable about what you plan on talking about. You can know everything you need to know and still get stage fright. You can know all the tips and tricks for overcoming stage fright and still get stage fright. Fear is a beast. It comes from your subconscious anxiety about yourself. The way you overcome it is by experience. Practice, 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 and practice. If you have a fear of speaking in front of others, begin by speaking in your mirror to yourself. Then begin by speaking to your family. Practice, practice. Maybe your fear is of falling or of heights. Start by getting on a stool, then a ladder, and work on breathing while being there. I'm a proponent of the what's the worst that could happen technique that I developed. Simply put, I imagine the worst that could happen. For example, I walk out on stage and it turns out I don't know a word to say and I'm buck naked in front of the audience of judgmental people. Or I stand on the edge of a cliff and imagine the fall, the air flowing past my face until that moment of impact and splat! And my spirit steps out of my body and looks down at it and says, well, that sucks. The thing is, fear is an emotion. It doesn't rely on truth. It doesn't care about reality. It is an animal. It is feral. It just is. And the way to get over it is to accept it as a possibility and then move on. You don't get rid of fear. You accept it. Once you've accepted the possibility of the worst thing that could happen, then the feral fear dissipates because you've accepted it. Then anything less than the worst is considered okay. You go out, go out onto the stage fully clothed and maybe stumble over some lines and people clap. 
and the experience helps drive that fear further away. You climb a ladder a few rungs higher and don't fall, and the fear dissipates. Or maybe you go all out and you have a fear of heights, so you go bungee jumping over a canyon and you do it until it's no longer scary and you enjoy the adrenaline rush. Fear is a good thing. Fear is part of our fight or flight response that keeps us alive in certain situations. Fear can also be a negative thing when it prevents you from moving forward. In some cases, fear can actually be the thing that kills you, not the actual event you're going through. Your mind is an amazingly powerful machine. It controls the energy flow of your entire body. It is more powerful than you realize. It can be trained to overcome fears and to utilize fear when it's needed to protect you from harm. A woman walking in a dark street or parking lot at night can utilize fear to keep her alive by keeping her vigilant. It's when you become numb to danger and forget the fear, that's when you are more likely to be hurt. Let's go back to my story of flying. I learned to overcome the fear of stalls, but I learned to always be vigilant for the situation. Most airplane crashes that were related to stalls occurred because pilots stopped paying attention to the indications the airplane was giving them that it was about to stall. It's science. There's always indications. That's where the learning comes in. If the knowledge you gain can prevent you from even getting to a situation where you need to use skill to overcome or get out of a deadly situation, then time spent acquiring knowledge is well spent. That way, the fears that you develop and overcome help you. So, the questions I have to ask you today, and I want you to spend some time thinking about it. What fears do you need to overcome? What skills do you need to learn? What life skills could help you in many situations? And finally, does this help you in your current situation? Take your time, think about it, meditate on it, maybe even write out the answers to these questions so that you have a firm idea of where your mind is right now. Take time to think about these things and you can overcome virtually any fear, not by getting rid of your fear, but by overcoming it, internalizing it, and accepting it. This is Todd Talks. Thank you for listening. I have some amazing news. I reported it on my Facebook page, but next week I'll be interviewing with Shane Murphy. He's the director of the Yugal Cancer Support Center in Ireland. And we're going to talk about mental health and how to improve our mental health in many different areas. I also have an interview scheduled in two weeks with Kristen Andrus. She is known to many of you for her fitness videos on YouTube and Instagram, where she helps many people to become a better version of themselves physically. And she's a mom, exercise maniac, and delivers delicious health food recipes on her feed. So things to look forward to. It's exciting times. I'm here to help you become the best version of you. This is Todd Talks. Thank you for listening. We're available on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Please, if you 
have time, take a moment to give us a five-star review. It helps us in the ratings. As always, thank you for your support and encouragement. If you have any questions, comments, or you want to hear certain topics, go to toddtalks.comments at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you. Have a blessed day.